Good morning. So a little kind of review to last week because it significantly connects to this week. So as, uh, again, Paul's writing this letter to a church that he has a broken relationship with. It's, it's fractured. It's, it's under tension. And as part of that, they have basically said, Paul, you no longer have authority over us, even though Paul was the founding pastor of the church in Corinth. And, uh, and, but the problem was is that over time, when Paul left after being there for a couple years, that he had to have some difficult conversations with them once he left. Some of them were through written letters. Others with, were with additional visits to them. Uh, but it was very tense. And, and it was much needed conversation. They were difficult conversations. But the church was struggling with the idea of, of, of this person that's not with them on a week-to-week basis telling them of the issues they need to work through. So Paul's got a difficult task because he still has authority and he does need to speak into their life. And one of the things that was going on is, again, this idea of his apostleship. Does he really, is he really valid in what he does? And, and, and again, there, we know from 1 Corinthians 1 that they had this tension going on that they, some were like, I'm follower of Paul. And for others, I'm a follower of Apollos who came after Paul. And so they were kind of arguing as to who was greater. And, but the problem was, that was going on is that the church began to rely upon the apostles or the leaders of the church as being the ones to advance the gospel. But the church itself was stagnant. They weren't doing anything. And, and Paul is frustrated by the fact that they continue to be about the argument as to who to follow rather than just living out Christ. And, and so Christ, uh, Paul actually appealed to them in the text that we read last week about this idea that if we are walking with Christ and we are staying near him, then we will begin to, uh, he will, his aroma will permeate us. And as a result, wherever we go, we will smell of Jesus. It will just be what, because we've been near it, we will smell of it. And, and it's just like, no matter where you and I go, our clothes will absorb the smell. If I go to your home, my clothes will begin to smell like you. And then when I leave your home, I can smell it and notice it more when I'm in my own house, that, that I've been somewhere else. And, and the same is true, that, that if we're near Jesus, you're gonna, people are going to smell you and know you've been near something else, or you've been somewhere else than where they have been, because it's strikingly different. And so Paul says, listen, our competency as ministers of the gospel, because they were feeling very insecure as ministers of the gospel, he's saying, your competency is in Christ. It's not about what skills you have. It's not about how you are particularly designed. No, it's about whether you've been near Jesus or not. And if you've been near Jesus, you will smell of Jesus. And if you smell of Jesus, people will smell that and then begin to wonder who it is you've been near and begin to ask questions. And that's where our competency comes from is the work of God in us by the Holy Spirit that begins to cause us to be different. That's where our competency comes from. And Paul wants to take it to another level with this. And so he continues on and he now transitions it to something that they know from their past about a story that comes from Moses in Exodus chapter 34. So I want to begin there and, and uh, a little context. Moses is just now coming off the mountain where he receives the Ten Commandments. So he's been up on this mountain for 
more than 40 days. He's been with God face to face. And some things began to happen to Moses that even Moses himself was not aware of. And so when you're near the living God for that length of time in, in his presence, it began to create a radiance to Moses that he did not know. But others were soon to see. It's the same thing that when the articles in the, in the tabernacle that had been near the Holy of Holies began to absorb the holiness of God to where when they were touched, it would cause harm to an unholy man. And so in the same way, Moses, being like one of those articles near the Holy of Holies, had been near God, and some things began to happen to him. And so therefore, this moment happens that we're about to read, starting in verse 29 of Exodus 34. It says this, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets, the Ten Commandments, of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant. It because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his, and his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and spoke to them. Now, real quick, it, it, I just want to make sure you didn't lose this. So Moses is coming down. He had been with God for 40 days. His face is radiating like something that has never been beheld before. People are seeing something they've never seen. I mean, when you think about our kind of ideas and mysterious ideas of if somebody from another planet ever came, would they have a different glow about them? What would be the aura about them that would say they're clearly not from this planet? Well, imagine for them, they're coming, they're seeing this creature come to them it's a radiant face like they've never seen before, and they assume the worst. In fact, when you read any story in the Old Testament about an angel showing up and it says that they were radiant, the usual description of the person that beheld the angel is they were afraid. Even go to the New Testament. When the angel Gabriel showed up, it says, and the, and the angels were joining when they were before the shepherds, what would it say? They were afraid. And so the same thing happens here, that Moses shows up, there's a radiance like they've never seen before, and they were afraid. They didn't know who it was. And so it says that, that Moses called out to them, and then they stopped and realized, that's Moses. And they came back to him, which means that when they saw his radiance, they ran. They went the other direction. I don't think it was a casual walk because you see something, it's like, oh, I've never seen that before. Eh, I don't want to talk to them. I'm just going to walk it. No. They saw something. It was different than they've ever seen before. And they hightailed it the other direction. It wasn't until Moses yelled out to them that they realized it's Moses. So they come back. And so now let's hear what Moses says. So when uh, afterwards all the Israelites came near him, verse 32, and, they gave, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face, but whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with them, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil then back over his face until he went to speak with the Lord. Okay, so you got this unusual story about a man who's been somewhere that others haven't been, and it's striking to them 
that he had been somewhere they had never been before because he was radiating. Now, we can't really appreciate how significant this radiance was that would cause them to run the other direction. But we can, uh, what should I say, relate to the idea that you can see somebody and immediately recognize they've been where I have not been or have just been where I have not been. For example, all of us here right now living in the Northeast, when you look around this room, we are lily white for the most part. All right, and, and that's because we've been where the sun isn't shining very often here. But if somebody goes down to Florida, you can tell that they've been there because their face begins, it shows a different color. It shows that they've been somewhere that is not clearly Pennsylvania. And, and so you can tell, and, and then if somebody also wishes they'd been in Florida, and they go to a tanning salon, and they overcook themselves, then they look rather ridiculous that they've been where we haven't been, but we can tell. But, you know, just a couple weeks ago, I was in South Africa for about four days on the ground. Took 40 hours of travel uh, there and back, but I was on the ground for four days, 85 degrees each day, no humidity, nice gentle breeze, clear skies. Every day at four o'clock when we were done working at the school, Nick and I got on these Adirondack chairs and just sat out in the sun and absorbed. It was awesome. And so we would talk spiritual things and so on. And so, you know, when I came back here, I was hoping that people would see me as different. And so, you know, I thought maybe I'd show you, you know, kind of how things turned out. And, and then by that Sunday, I, I obviously, my glow had gone away. Um, but uh, I, anyway, I was just having fun with that. But, uh, you know, it, it's true, though, when you see somebody right now, because a couple of people on our staff were away in warm places recently, and they come back, and it's like, man, I wish I was where they were at. They have that radiance that says sun and spring that, is so far away, apparently six weeks away, according to the groundhogs. And so, uh, and so we're, we're stuck in this, this point, but when you see somebody that's been where it's warm, you're drawn to like, oh, I can't wait till spring comes. In this situation, people see a radiant Moses. Clearly, he had been somewhere they had not. But in this case, it was so radiant that they were afraid. He had been somewhere that made them fearful that, that if they were near him, they possibly could die. So what was going on? Why was this radiance happening? And, and I would say that there's, there's a lot to learn, especially when you combine it with the text we're about to read. But let's just stay here for a moment. We can clearly see that, that because Moses was near, near the glory of God, the glory of God's radiance reflected off of his face. So just having been near the glory of God, the glory of God's radiance was reflecting off of his face. It was frightening at first to others, but certainly it showed that Moses had been with God. So there wasn't any doubt that once Moses began to speak, that it was like, oh, Moses was with God. So we know and, uh, that, that he was with Yahweh, the glory of Yahweh. That's the only thing that could have caused the countenance to change. And as a result, they knew that whatever Moses brought with him had to be of God. So keep in mind, Moses has come down. He's now got these tablets of stone that have the Ten Commandments on it. They now know that by the radiance of face that those tablets of stone have been 
given by God. There was no doubt. Moses says, I have a law that's been brought from God. They didn't doubt him because there was a validation. He had been with God. And so this was so important for the nation of Israel to, to have that validation. But then you have this, this radiance that continues uh, uh, from, from point to point because it says that, that whenever Moses would leave the presence of God, he would come out immediately and show his face to the people because he'd just been with God. They see his radiance, but then when, when he got done speaking to the people, he put the veil over his face until the next time he was going to be with God. And then when he was with God, he didn't want that veil over his face. He would lift it. So again, his face would absorb the glory of God. And then he could go out and speak to the people. They'd see the, the great radiance and begin to speak. And then once he was done speaking, he would cover it over. Until the next time he was with God. And then he'd lift the veil, absorb some more radiance. This pattern happened over and over in this journey of Israel between them and Moses. And, and part of the journey that you see going on here is Moses did not want them to, to uh, doubt his leadership. There is an important aspect that's like he wanted them to see, I have been with God, so now you can hear what I'm about to say. I've been with God. These words are coming from God. That's part of the radiant. But the veil... This is interesting. The veil covered over the fact that it's been a while that he's been with God. Because the glory of God was fading over time. And so whenever that fading was going away, he didn't want people to start doubting his leadership. He didn't want people to start doubt that, that he's not somebody to be listened to. So he would cover it over and they would assume the radiance was still full of glory. Then Moses would go in and have that encounter with God. He would get fueled back up, if you will. He'd get fueled back up, and then he could go back out. They would see the radiance, and they would know he had been with God. And so this pattern continues, and it's part of the validation of his leadership. But here's the thing that maybe was not understood at the time, even by Moses, that it's also a reflection of the fact that the law was a fading glory. As glorious as it was, the moment that God provided these, this code of conduct, this, these 10 things on this tablet to, to say who he is, I mean, this was a significant moment. It was great glory. That's why the radiance was so intense. This was received well. Now we know the standards of God. This was an incredible glory, but it was a fading glory. And they did not understand that. And maybe even Moses did not understand that. It wasn't the end by which they were to pursue. Because what end is at the end of following a law if you can't do so perfectly? That's the challenge. And so in 2 Corinthians, I want us to go there. Paul is about to bring up this idea of the glory of the law as compared to the glory of grace that is found in the work of the cross. And, and, and he's, again, speaking to a group of people that are feeling incompetent. They feel like, I, I'm not gifted to be a minister of the gospel. I'm not gifted to minister to other people. I'm not gifted to be effective in the name of Jesus. And he's saying, listen, you're the aroma of Christ. If you're just near Christ, you're going to smell of Christ. And people are going to smell that and be drawn to the smell. And they're going to want to seek out what is the source of it. But now he's going on and he's saying this competence also is rooted in the Holy Spirit. So let's look at verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It says, now, if the ministry that brought death, being that of the law, if the ministry of the law brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, 
as compared to the letters that are written on the tablets of hearts that's mentioned in verse 3 and 4 of chapter 3. Uh, he says, if, if, if this ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory as it was or temporary as it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be given more be even more glorious. If the ministry that has brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious then is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison to the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory or temporary came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Let me stop there. And walk this piece by piece. So he's comparing the glory of two things. The glory of the law, which came, which we just read about, came with incredible glory. So much so that it was fearful to even look at Moses initially. And you certainly couldn't look at his glory in a sustaining way. You had to turn away. It was that kind of radiance. So if there was that much glory was something that offered death, how much glory would come to that which actually offers life. He compares them pretty significantly because he, he's already mentioned that, that God is doing this great work in you, back in verses 3 and 4, God is doing this great work in you that is written on the tablets of your heart by the Holy Spirit. And now he's comparing that, that written word that is upon the hearts of people compared to a written word that was on a stone. And he's saying, which has the greater glory? The law, which brings condemnation, or the cross, which brings grace and righteousness. It's interesting when you begin to think about this very, very deeply. Because when you, when you start thinking about it, when the law came and Moses presented those ten pieces of, of law on those stones, what do you think the reaction of the people were? Think about it. The first three things that are mentioned there are about basically honoring God above anything else. What had they just failed in doing? They had created a calf and worshipped it. So the very thing is about the name of God, the worship of God, and that he is to be above any kind of image of any kind. Those things were written first, and they're realizing, check, failed, check, failed. Failed. And then they keep going down the line through number 10, all the way through, realizing that they have never fulfilled any of the 10. So, what was the emotion that when they see these 10 things, this is the standard and law of God, what did they feel? Was it life or was it something else? They felt condemned. They realize that I stand guilty before God as soon as they see this. They know it's from God. They see the radiance and glory of what's just been brought to them from Moses. But when they read what's on those tablets, they realize they stand fully guilty before God. They feel condemned. They feel like they've fallen short. They know that they now are in trouble with God. They know they cannot meet the standard that has just been written on stone. And there was glory with this, but this was not a glory that was exciting. This was a glory that realizes God is so much greater than us, and we are hopeless. 
So the glory of that law that came had a fading glory. You know, as Moses was away from God and working with the people, that glory was fading. The people didn't realize that. They saw the law as being glorious, but they, they didn't realize that there was not a, a sustaining glory found in the law. Just like Moses' face, the reality of the law is, is that it's momentary. It is a season of time. And no, the law will not fade away, but the law only brings condemnation. It is only leading to something greater. And that greater is what he's comparing to, is that there's a new covenant by a ministry of the Spirit that is a greater glory. So then the glory of the law. So you have this, this glory of the law in verse 9. I'll reread that. It says that, um, that if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Whew. Now that's interesting. So they felt con condemned immediately when they see the tablets of stone. When the tablets that's written on the heart of men by the Holy Spirit are read, and it says that for those who are in him, he gave the right to become the sons and daughters of God. And as a result, he sees them as righteous. Which glory do you think is more appealing? The one that condemns you and says you'll never meet the standard, or the other one that says God made you the standard through his righteousness, that you are completely seen as being righteous in his eyes. Therefore, you're given the freedom to be a child of God. You see, the glory of the law was glorious, but the glory of the new covenant in Christ is glorious. It is an all-surpassing glory that has no end. The law has its end, and it will be at the point of the return of Christ, and when all are called to his side and be with him for eternity, the law will no longer be needed because we will be in the presence of God Every day for all of eternity. And so this is an all-surpassing glory as compared to a glory that was temporary. Both have their sources in God. The glory was sourced in God. God was the one that wrote the Ten. But what the Ten Commandments said was, this is what I am not. Therefore, you know who I am. When you think of do not, do not, do not, that's written in the Ten Commandments, it's do not do the things that are in opposition to God or are not God. But rather, it tells you then and implies that what God is and who God is. And so this glory of the law was certainly there. It defined who God is and his holiness. But it also defined who we are and what we need from God. And so how amazing then is it then when we look at verse 11 when it says, then if this transit, transitory uh, that came with glory, if that temporary thing had glory come with it, how much greater is then the glory that lasts? This, this idea that this lasting. So you have a decreasing glory and you have an increasing glory. You have a temporary glory and you have a permanent glory. Which one do you choose? And so for the audience there, Paul is speaking to, he's got a church that says, I can't. I can't. I'm going to trust the leaders. So it's all about the leaders. Apollos will do it for us. Paul will do it for us. The deacons will do it for us. Deaconesses will do it for us. But us as a church, we're not gifted to do any of that. The ministry of God is for those people. The reality is, the ministry of God is competent based on the Holy Spirit's work, period. 
So if the Holy Spirit is in you, then the full resources of heaven is right there with you and therefore makes you competent to be able to minister to anybody, anytime as led by the Holy Spirit, you will be shocked when you begin to walk that way how God can use you in a strange moment that you would never perceive yourself to be a part of. But that's the glory of God. And that's where you realize the glory is not, a, not us. We're not the source of the glory. We're the reflection of the glory of what is greater and that is found in Christ alone. So let's continue reading. So if this is true, that there's a fading glory compared to a surpassing glory, what's the result? What does this mean for us? Verse 12, therefore, since we have such a hope that there's a surpassing glory, that there's this greater glory, this increasing glory that comes in Christ that is not temporary, since we have this hope, we are to be then bold. Keep in mind, he's telling them, you're thinking you're incompetent. But I'm telling you, you should be bold. Think of what's in you. The Holy Spirit's in you. You should be bold, not feeling incompetent. You should be confident in what Christ can do through his Holy Spirit in you. So be bold. Verse 13, we are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, that same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is that veil taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord, the Lord is the Spirit, and when the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And, all, and we all, who are with unveiled faces, contemplate that glory that's from the Lord. We are being transformed into His image with an ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit." Whew, that is a lot to say, but it's an important word that we need to hear and maybe the most crucial word to hear. So we're called to be bold. We do not have a glory that is decreasing, but rather one that is increasing. We don't have a strength that will dissipate. We have a strength that actually goes stronger within each and every day. We have a glory that's not going to be threatened by anything else on this earth. We have a glory that will supersede the time on this earth. So why are we feeling incompetent? Why do we feel like we're struggling? And, and, and that's because for Paul, he says, listen, there are people that are ignorant. They're ignorant of this truth, of this greater glory that is not temporal. They, they still have a veil that is covering their hearts. They can't see the radiance that comes there. And those are the ones that have not understood the gospel. And so they're, they're stuck in this blindness. But yet when you understood the glory of Christ... We should have confidence and confidence in that confidence because it's in Christ we have our strength. It's in Christ we have our power. It's in Christ who changes hearts and it's Christ who removes the veil. It's not a human being. I can't force somebody to understand. Only God can do that through his Holy Spirit. And so therefore, we have this unique journey where this redemptive work changes us immediately. So when we walk, as it says in verse 16 and 17, that when we walk in this glory on this side of the cross, it changes us and makes us righteous. We're not defeated. We're not condemned anymore. When we walk in this glory, we actually are to have the opposite. It's like, I've just been declared righteous, clean, and free. 
So therefore, if you walk with what, that mentality, it will change the perspective by how you look at life. But too often, we look at life as defeated. We look at it as like, well, I felt before an intensity of God, but I walk now feeling completely numb and wondering in doubt. The reality is, you've walked away from the glory of God. You've stopped being near Him. You've stopped letting the revelation of who He is impact your life. And as a result, it is dulled on you, and yet God is calling you by His Holy Spirit to draw near to Him and so that you can experience the radiance of His life and then understand your standing before Him that you are seen as righteous, not as condemned, but as righteous, fully fulfilling the law. And the Spirit, this is the ministry of the Spirit. Verse 8, it says, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? So this isn't the ministry of, of just us. This is the ministry of the Spirit of God in us. And, and we're seeing this transformative work in us by that Spirit. But then when you look at what says in verse 17. So now, whenever this veil is taken away, the Lord is Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who have unveiled faces contemplate this glory we are transformed into his image, ever increasing in glory, which comes from the Lord, who is sourced then this. This glory is sourced in the Spirit. This is huge for us, because what that means is that you and I will radiate more each day when we're near God. His transformative work by his Holy Spirit in us will make you more and more radiant every day. It's interesting how this all works, because in verse 16, it says that you can't even experience this unless you have an unveiled face. That's an interesting text, that unless you have an unveiled face, you can't even experience this. So God has to, by his Holy Spirit, remove the veil so that you can understand. One of the most beautiful things that happened this past Sunday night at our congregational gathering was hearing the testimony of a woman whose life has been changed recently at, here while attending at LAFC. And in her testimony, she says that the veil was removed. Now, she didn't say use the term veil, but she finally, the light bulbs went off, her words, the light bulbs went off, and I finally understood the gospel. On the Sunday, we talked about purgatory. I mean, who gets saved hearing a message about purgatory? That doesn't happen every day. But the Holy Spirit finally helped her understand the gospel in that moment to where she realized it's a work of Christ. It's not a work of me. It's a work of Christ, and he sees me as righteous, and I simply receive and stay near him. That's the beauty of the gospel, and that veil was taken away. And so when I look at this text, and if you really believe this to be true, that it's by the work of the Holy Spirit that somebody can even understand the gospel, then that should change your prayer life. And here's how. As we talk about often here in this church, that God has uniquely placed each of us into a group of people where God wants us to do ministry. In the biblical terms, in the Greek, it uses one single term to describe that sphere of influence. It's the term oikos. It, it's that family and friends. It's those you can influence. God places their, you there uniquely to do ministry as a competent minister filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of those people know Jesus. Some of them do not. But as I'm praying for those who do not know Jesus, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will remove the veil. 
I pray that God will help them understand the gospel. Because I realize that while my life might cause them to ask questions, I realize that my life might even be seen as different. And it may cause them uh, a little bit of wonder and, and questioning. But in the end of the day, their understanding and their ability to receive the gospel comes from the work of the Spirit, not the work of Tony. That is the truth. And so therefore, it informs how I pray. And, and what's really interesting is that when you allow the work of God to happen in you and you begin to smell of God because you're near him all the time, and then as you begin to grow in him and he's transforming you, then you begin to not only smell of him, but you begin to radiate of him. Now, an interesting thing happened to me this week in the gym. A gentleman that I have talked with multiple times over the last five years came up to me and began to ask a lot of questions. Now, I need to give you a little context. I had hardly talked to this man in the first two years. And then he told somebody that I happened to know that he didn't know that I knew. He told them, he says, whatever he is, he's the real deal. That was his words, okay? I'm not saying this to Trump me because I honestly said very little to him. In fact, I might have just asked his name. That's all I could recall ever saying. But then I hear that he took notice of something. So something about me was causing him to look at me differently. So then it, when I heard that, I began to have intentional conversations. It, I have an oikos. I have a list of people I'm praying for. He was not on my top 100. This was not somebody I thought I was supposed to care about intentionally. Now, hear me when I say that. I care about people in general when I'm speaking to them, but he wasn't somebody who was on my radar to think God will use me in his life. But just because I've been near Jesus and near people who love Jesus, something said, said to him and, and saying, there's something different there. It caused some other conversations that he and I began to have. And this past week, Again, this person would be kind of a declared agnostic. So that kind of helps you understand. He believes there's a, a higher power, but he doesn't know who it is, and he really doesn't care to know who it is. That's kind of what his stick is. That, that's what he says about his belief. But this past week, he came up to me and said, started with, how was Africa? What, what was that like? And, and I didn't even know that he knew I was in Africa, so somebody told him. And, and so I told him a little bit about that. And then he says, well, how's your wife doing? And, and he had heard about my wife going through uh, cancer and so on. And so I told him about how things are going. And, and, and he was surprised by the way I was speaking about it. And so then he asked me this question. He says, how do you deal with church people who are always griping about things that don't matter a whole hill of beans? His words. And, 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 and yet you're going through something rather significant. How do you deal with that? And, and again, I, I kind of knew his reputation. He, he gets bothered by a lot of things. And so he's talking about this. And I just said, honestly, I, I don't even look at it like that. If people are going through something difficult, even if it's measured differently than what I'm going through, it doesn't matter. I, I, I minister to him. And then he asked more and more questions. And finally, he just shook his head. He says, how do you do that? And I looked at him. I said, I don't think you understand. I would not do handle this the way I am if it wasn't for Jesus changing my life. And he looked at me with just this blank stare because he asked the question. And I just simply responded by saying, I could not do this unless Jesus changed my life because I said, before Jesus changed my life, I'm pretty confident I would handle it very similarly to what you're describing. Being annoyed by the pet peeves and the petty issues of others. 
But I honestly don't feel that. He stopped, he paused, and then he was about ready to walk out of the room because I was on a bench doing crunches. And, 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 and so he stops before he walks out and he looks back and he says, I don't think you have any idea how much your words today are going to stay with me. And then he walked out of the room. So I'm telling you, I can tell you, <laughs> I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, and there's people in this room that can tell you by evidence. I just work out. That's all I do. I don't go around preaching in the gym. I have friends that watch me and, and try to get me to talk more than what I do. This is not because I am so competent or so confident about who Jesus is while I'm working out. It is just merely I've been near Jesus and somehow, some way, people see it and smell it. There is nothing, I can't tell you, I've done nothing to earn this kind of interaction with somebody that I've hardly spoken to. I'm just telling you, if you're near something, it will change you. That's what Paul is trying to say to a group of people who are saying, I can't do it, it's for the leaders of the church. I'm incompetent. That is, mm, I would like to use other words. But anyway, it is just hogwash. It is not the truth. You as people, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, if God is your God and Jesus is your Savior, you are competent where you sit right now. You're competent where you sit. And God will use you. You stay near to him. He will change you even when you have no idea that he's doing it. You stay near him, things will begin to change in you. You'll begin to smell different. You'll begin to look different. And it will cause questions. And it will cause journeys to begin. And that's God's job. He changes hearts. And then in his timing, he removes the veil and then they get it. So I'm praying for that individual now. He's high on my list. And some of the people in this room might even know him, but I'm going to keep it very general because that's his journey. I'm trusting that God is going to lift that veil and he will get it. And he will bend the knee and he will then have a countenance change. There is a significant difference between the faces of somebody who has no hope and somebody who knows hope itself. And that is, again, it's not any bright. It is just Jesus. There is the only thing to be praised. It is Jesus. And so my takeaways from this text as to what Paul is trying to convey to the people of that church is get over your incompetent feelings and start realizing that if I'm near Jesus, he does the work. He is the one that is going to transform you. This transformation he speaks of in verse 18 is an ever-increasing glory. It is not a fading glory. You see, Israel had lost their swag because it had been so long since the, the law had been written. There was nothing that was going on inside them that was vibrant. It wasn't changing the world. They were hoping for what was lost. They were hoping to reclaim the season of Moses, and it wasn't coming back. They had no idea. But until the veil is removed, they're stuck in a hopeless situation. So that's why we pray for the Israelites. We pray for the Jewish people of today. We pray that their hearts will then understand and have the veil removed, and they'll see the glory that never fades away, and that is Jesus Christ the Messiah. They, too, someday will see that. It is predicted. But for now, while us Gentiles are now seeing the glory of the risen Christ, we need to draw near to him so that the others can then experience the life that is found in Christ. So the takeaways are this, that the glory of the cross grows with each life changed. 
This is the beautiful thing. That as each person intersects with the story of the cross and then they receive the story of the cross, the work of Christ that makes us righteous when we put our faith in it, each life change increases the glory of the cross. And then it begins to be that spread that goes across the globe, which it has done and many times over. And we're seeing the glory even going to tribes that have never even heard of Jesus' name. And this is the beauty of it. The glory that ever increases. It's not fading. And we have unveiled faces and we get to radiate it without hesitancy. And so then also, we then need this work of the Holy Spirit in us to remove the veil, to continue to enlighten us to the beauty of the Christ's work on the cross. This veil that was upon us at one point in time, I mean, it left me a long time ago, but I'm so thankful that each and every day I get the opportunity to learn more about the glory of Jesus. And, and, and there's much to be transformed in me. There is still plenty of work to be done in my life. And, and there's plenty of work to be done in your life. But this is the transformational work. Why it says, an ever-increasing glory for a competent people. Not in, I'm not talking to incompetent people here in this room. I'm talking to competent people. If you know Jesus, you're competent. And, and, and it's because of the Spirit's presence in you. And thirdly, the glory of Christ upon your countenance will grow each day as you obey what you know from him. That's where the law is helpful. We know what the standard of God is. We know the standard of holiness because of the law. We live out each day because we know the word of God. We let it transform our lives. We be near him by reading this and, and abiding with the spirit. And therefore, this glory continues to grow. And it's not with a diminishing return. That is the prayer of the church. That is what we want to pray for is that, that each of us becomes the aroma of Christ and radiates the glory of Christ by everywhere we go, even when we're not even thinking about it. Even when we're not even considering it. That when you're near Jesus, people are taking notice. Let's pray. Jesus, I... <laughs> I am so thankful. I was caught off guard. My heart was not, I wasn't praying before that man came and talked to me. I wasn't thinking godly things in those moments. I wasn't thinking ungodly things. I was merely doing exercises. <laughs> but yet somehow, in that moment, you created a divine appointment and your glory continues to shine to where I think that man knows who you are. He is yet to then receive you so that he can be. So God, I just ask that you would allow each of us the perspective that says our confidence and competence isn't about our, our skill sets, our personality, or anything like that, but it's about the Holy Spirit and the life-changing work of Christ. So God, as we go to this table to remember that life-changing work, God, I ask that this would be a special moment that it will cause just joy in our hearts and, and that there would be an aroma to this moment as we experience it and remember what Jesus did. So we dedicate this time to you. We ask that the glory of Christ would be evident to us, but also the glory would be shining bright towards you from us as we radiate your Son. Chapter 3 verse 6 and then verses 17 and 18 again it says he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant not of the letter of not of the letter but of the spirit for the letter kills but the spirit gives life now the lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom 
And we all who have unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So this is our charge. Draw near to Christ. He'll draw near to you. And as a result, we begin to smell of him and we radiate him. Let him be the source of the smell of your life and the radiance of your life. Because there are others whose lives are impacted and may be at stake just by the way we live. So draw near to Christ and we are the competent ministers. All that is needed for God to do his work among the others around us. So go and be the aroma of Christ and the radiance of Christ. Regardless of the results of tonight's game. Amen. You are dismissed. God bless.